With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happy Seventh Day of Unleavened Bread. Yay! <laughs> All right, we're going to change music. Everybody stand if you're able to. Glory to his name. Glory to your name. 
stand to pray and treat him like God. Lord, Heavenly Father, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, praise your holy name. We are here today to worship you, not to obey you, but to worship you. There is a difference. Yes, we will obey you, Lord, but first we worship you. We are here not by commandment, but by love, by servitude, by commitment, by covenant, by marriage, by relationship. Because, Lord, we have entered into agreement with you to be your holy people. And we willingly submit to you, Lord. The scripture says, that if we do the Father's will, that you would no longer call us servants, but friends. We ask, Lord, that we would become your friends. We know you very, very, very intimately. We know you for what you really are. We ask, Lord, that you help us to understand more today. And every day as we continue to live, as each week, month, and year passes by, that we would continue to come to know you more, continue to fall in love with you more, and treat you with even a greater and a greater reverence, honor, and respect, magnitude of worship, that we would fall at your knees often, on our knees at your feet often, and kiss your feet often. We ask, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we will always be both your servant and your friend. We ask, Lord, Heavenly Father, for your special strength today, as it may be late at night in some regions and very early in the morning here. We ask for strength and energy. We ask for clarity of mind, help with our bones and flesh. Help us to put our minds upon you and less on our flesh. However, 
in this lesson today. We will learn and speak of your mercy and your grace upon our flesh that made us give you glory to your spirit. And may it edify our spirits and help us to grow in our spirit and in your spirit together as one. We ask, Lord Father, your will prevails in this sermon and in this message and in this service to your glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen. May be seated. start in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Good to see Sister Kiki online and Brother Robert here in person and Sister Brittany able to sit up in the sanctuary with us today. Here we are on the last day of Unleavened Bread. Here in this time zone, we've got 13 hours left before we can start eating bread again. If we had it <laughs> to eat, we could eat it. Or if we wanted to go to the store and get it, we could. If we wanted something. Uh, and we do have eggs in the house. We could boil some eggs or scramble some eggs if we wanted to tonight after sunset. Make some mayonnaise, homemade mayonnaise after sunset. That sounds good. Today is the 21st day of the first month. 21st day of the first month. That it would be the date of the last day of unleavened bread every year. The last day of unleavened bread would be the 21st of the first month. Romans 3, verse 23. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of theos. Being acquitted as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. When the Theos displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of the Theos he passed over the sins previously committed. Amen. Today the topic is lessons learned in the days of unleavened bread. Lessons learned in UB. Perhaps some of you may have thought yesterday or day before or this morning, today, maybe perhaps hopefully some of you thought about what have I learned in these seven days of unleavened bread plus, plus the Passover, these eight days. We should be thinking in that direction, what have we learned in this time? It is a time of worship, a time of prayer, listening to previous sermons or reading the Bible or praying or reflecting 
upon life, reflecting about our own sins, searching ourselves about our own sins, we should have learned something maybe about ourselves or about God or about the truth or something. We should have learned something. Uh, if at the very least in the, the sermon on the first day of unleavened bread or through the process of examining ourselves or through the process of fasting from the leaven. In Romans 6.23, we see that everybody has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Amen. I think that one of the lessons that we do learn in the days of unleavened bread every year, a repeated lesson of this week is we need a Savior. Amen. Because we have all sinned and we all fall short. Amen. We need a Savior. We need the Savior to pass over our sins, to atone for our sins, to pay for our sins, because we were guilty. And in some ways, we're still guilty of some sins, all of us, every one of us. None of us have reached perfection yet. And you can search high and you can search low all over the world and you're not going to find the perfect pastor or the perfect brother or the perfect sister. They simply do not exist yet, but they absolutely will exist. They will form in us. Each one of us individually, we will obtain over a process of time. The seven days of unleavened bread represent a process of a lifetime until perfection. The number seven is the number of completeness and the number of perfection. We got saved and we accepted the atoning blood of Jesus Christ represented on Passover. We entered into that covenant with him through baptism and through Passover communion and through Repentance. We enter into that covenant represented by the day of Passover, also the day of atonement in the fall. But then after we did that, we had to continue our journey. We could not just sit down or return back to our previous lives, but we had to continue the next step and the next step and the next step until we obtained. And even after we obtain perfection, entering into paradise. Amen. Seven, the number of perfection, the number of completeness, today represents that final time of when you finally do come to completeness and perfection and full maturity in every aspect. We need a Savior, though. Because we have to first get saved, and then we need his help to endure and to continue the process of unleavening of our body. Amen. Jesus is the bread of life. We are his body. We are his hands and feet. 
on this earth. We are his church, his congregation, his nation, his kingdom. We are his body of people, each one of us individual members. He is the bread, therefore, we are a bread, a minor bread and a minor light to the world, reflecting his light, sharing his bread, his word, his truth with the world. We are his body. He was always without sin, but it takes us our entire lifetime to get there. And this is why, for most people, it will take a second resurrection, absolutely, because it is difficult. None of us obtained perfection on day number one of salvation when we really was only born that day. We were all children and babies in the Lord. Then we continued to grow and mature and learn the process of repentance and unleavening until we finally reach perfection. And because it takes that lifetime and it's difficult, we need a Savior because we have sinned and we continue to sin. We do. Every one of us. Even if we think that we don't, we do. There's many ways of sin. Many, many, many ways of sin. Sin, first and foremost, is the transgression of the law breaking the commandments, keeping evil pagan days, not keeping the seventh day, not keeping the holy days, or keeping them wrong, or not keeping them in the spirit of the law would also be a sin. But there's other ways to sin as well. And that includes being disobedient to his guidance or his voice or his word or his direction or his will for us. So it doesn't have to be written in Scripture for us to break it and transgress his law. It can be something that he nudged us in a certain direction and we disobeyed and did not go the right direction. That would be disobedience. It would be a sin to not follow his will. Amen. And we are all guilty of that, every one of us. We need a Savior. Look at 1 John over near the book of Revelation, 1, 2, and 3 John. We'll go to 1 John, chapter 1 also. 1 John, chapter 1. Verse 5 through 10. 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that Theos is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, not any, any, any darkness at all. He is light. If we say that we have communion with him, and yet walk in the darkness, that word walk means lifestyle. If we have a lifestyle, if that is our way of walking, our life, in darkness, we lie. If we have communion with him, if we tuck the Passover, or if we tuck his name 
entered into that marriage contract and said, I do at baptism or at, and or Passover. And yet we have a lifestyle of darkness. We walk in darkness and we lie. It was a false vow. We are taking a vow when we enter that covenant. And we do not practice the truth. That word practice, again, also means a lifestyle. We do not have the lifestyle of truth if we're walking in darkness. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have communion with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All, all, all sin. No exception. All sin. We are cleansed from if we repent, but it talks about the blood here and our lifestyle. Even though it doesn't use the word repent here, you know it talks about the requirement of repentance because it's talking about how we walk, what we practice, whether we're walking in darkness versus light. We can't walk both ways at the same time. So the only way you can walk in the light is only if you repent from the darkness. Amen. So it does have an underlying principle of repentance, of change. The word, the word repent does not mean confess. A lot of people think it does. And there are two entirely different meanings. Confess, which is coming to the realization that you have sinned and admitting that. That repenting is changing your life, turning around. Changing direction. Stopping one way and beginning a new way. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Even when we are, even when we reach the state of full maturity in every aspect, once we reach the state of a fully grown wheat stalk. We are fully complete and have attained it in our final months of life. Even at that time, we should not become boastful and proudful about it, but rather still being able to say, it's by mercy and by grace that we've been able to overcome, that God has delivered us and, and we have become conquerors because of his help, because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his works in us, because of his Holy Ghost, all these things. Not becoming proudful because then you have not reached full maturity. Amen. And if we confess our sins, if, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. Believe him. Believe him and accept his gift of forgiveness. Do not continue to hold on to sins that have been erased and wiped 
off the board. Because then you treat the blood of Jesus lightly if you hold on to your sins. You have to believe God. Trust God. Have faith in him. That his blood is sufficient. His blood is not milk. His blood is not Kool-Aid. His blood is sufficient. We have been cleansed. It is done. Believe in the saving power of the almighty Savior. Amen. Praise the Lord. We need a Savior. But once we receive him, receive him. Amen. Praise the Lord, and praise God for his mercy and grace. And remember his mercy and grace and be thankful for it and apply it into your life, into your mind, into your heart. And if you struggle with that, put your hand on your forehead or heart often and say, I am forgiven in the name of Jesus. And I accept the blood of Jesus. And I believe God. And God is faithful. And read this verse. That he is righteous. And that he is faithful to forgive us of all sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think of the Apostle Paul. How the blood of the saints was on his hands. He had commanded the murder of saints. He waged war against the church. He rejected Jesus as God. God still saved him, and he became the greatest author of the New Testament and wrote more books of the entire Bible than anyone else. Absolutely, I guarantee you that Paul occasionally struggled with his past sins because our past sins do haunt us because family, friends, ourselves, and the devil will bring back remembrance and accusation of the past. It will happen, absolutely. But we have to fight back against family, against friend, against neighbor, and against ourselves, and against the devil and his demons. We have to fight back, talk back against the enemy. And say, I am forgiven. I believe God. God is faithful. His blood is sufficient. And the the grace has been shed for me. His mercy is upon me. Even the sure mercies of David. The Bible talks about the sure mercies of David. How David, being a man with Hundreds and hundreds of women probably had a different woman in bed every night. But, and even then, beyond that, still not happy with the women he had, he had to go out and command the murder of a married woman's husband. God took away their first baby that David and Bathsheba had together. 
because of the consequence. And that hurt very much. It really, really hurt David. But he repented. He got back up. He got back on the horse. And he endured until the end of his life, not forsaking Jesus, knowing that Jesus was right in his judgment and staying in love with Jesus and accepting forgiveness once he repented. And after much tears, he did not, and fasting, he did not fast all the days of his life and did not cry all the days of his life, but accepted the forgiveness, got back up, continued to live, and take care of business. Amen. The sure mercies of David and the sure mercies of Paul, upon Paul, and the sure mercies upon Pastor Tim absolutely prove to us that God is faithful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God often for his mercy and grace and walk in it and live in it. Amen. 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, starting in verse 7, verse 7 through 10. Paul says to the Corinthian church, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, meaning because of how much God had showed him, how much God had talked to him, how much truth he understood, and prophecy and all kinds of stuff and spiritual gifts and and writing of scripture because of the surpassing greatness to Corinthians 12 verse 7 because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself to keep me from pride that was given to me a thorn in the flesh talk about a physical weakness an illness a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from over-exalting myself. Amen. Verse 8, concerning this, I employed the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in infirmities, sicknesses. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my infirmities so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. In other words, so that he will, if he's given thanks for even the tough times and given thanks even for his weaknesses, because in his weaknesses he's, he's acknowledging we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all human. None of us have attained. In another verse in the Bible, Paul says, I've not yet attained. He said that. Yet he wrote more of the Bible than anybody else that I know of. And he struggled with sin in Romans 7. He beat himself up in Romans 7. He really was struggling with his own personal sins in Romans 7. But our sins reveal 
the greatness of God, the faithfulness, the righteousness of God to both chastise and to forgive. It shows the power of Christ, the power of the blood. Amen. The power of the crucifixion, the power of the resurrection, the power of his life. Everything about Jesus coming to the earth from his birth to his death and after his death. The power of Christ, the power of God in the flesh is revealed in our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and even our mistakes and the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Verse 10, therefore, I am well content with physical weakness, infirmities, with insults as well, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Acknowledging we need a Savior and embracing the strength of Christ to forgive us Becoming strong because of difficulties, because of struggles, because of persecution, sickness, any, any, any affliction or difficulty, any difficulty we endure in life will build us into the people that we need to become. Amen. This is one of the reasons why it's almost impossible for a rich person to enter into the kingdom. It's because rich people have not suffered enough. They don't know what it's like to be saving on food and, and be careful with their money and being careful with what they buy and uh, having to drive an old car and different things. They don't struggle with life enough to build character, to build personality, to build perfection. We need difficulties, and the more difficulties, the better. Amen. Absolutely, the more difficulties, the stronger and the better person we will be in the end. Amen. Now, Paul sought healing. And contrary, but contrary to what many people claim, many people claim a false doctrine of that God will always heal you, always, always, always heal you if you just ask or if you just fast or something, all you got to do is do something and God will always heal you and it's a lie. Paul sought healing in his body. I am sure he used herbs and natural remedies and so forth and prayer and fasting, all of it, guarantee you. And yet Jesus kept telling him, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. It's okay. Amen. Now, this was not a sin. Most people say that this was a sin that Paul was struggling with, and even though I very much acknowledged that Paul struggled with sin. But this verse is not talking about his sins, but rather his infirmities. There's entire difference. Amen. If we fast and pray and seek Jesus for removal of sin, he will help us. It might not be on day number one. We might have to really, really, really work at it with him. 
over years to completely conquer sin. But he will not say that I'll never remove it from you or my grace is sufficient for this sin if we continue to walk in that sin. No. If we continue to walk in that sin, we just read it in 1 John 1. If we walk in darkness and, and say we have communion with him, we lie. Amen. Now, it will take a lifetime to get rid of all the sin. But when it comes final judgment day, if we have not reached a state of a sinless life, then God will not tell us on judgment day, my grace is sufficient for you. Absolutely not. Repentance and conquering darkness and conquering sin and becoming totally in the light, becoming holy as he is holy and perfect, sinless as he is, is repeated in Scripture and absolute. Amen. In the meantime, as we continue to struggle and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as the Scripture says, we accept the grace of God for our physical afflictions, for our persecutions, our difficulties, our properties, poverty, and for when we make honest mistakes. Amen. And as we continue to struggle even, as long as we continue to fight, against the sins and the cause of the sins, then yes, his grace is sufficient unless we never do conquer. Now this week, there was a discovery of a product in this house that had a halal mark. And I'm thankful that my brother Robert was here to to notice it and to point it out to me that the that a salt grinder, salt shaker, where you grind the salt yourself, that it had the halal mark on it. But it was so small on that bottle that I could not see it with my blurry eyes. Even after he told me about it, I had to put on my eyeglasses and still look, have to look very carefully to be able to see it. Some people claim that Paul's physical sickness was a problem with his eyes. And I forget how they determine that, and I don't know whether that's true or not true. That's one of the claims of what his physical uh, Infirmity was, was eye problems. And when I was younger, I never thought that I would have eye problems. I had such gray eyes. But all people, most people, as they get older and older, they start having eye problems as part of the trials and sufferings of life 
of everybody on this earth that we all develop arthritis and our eyes grow weaker and our flesh grow weaker and our flesh starts decaying at a certain point of time, despite no matter how much we eat healthy, no matter what we do, death is going to come to every one of us unless we are alive when Jesus comes. It's just part of life. But I did not know about the halal mark on that product. And so instead of spending the last two or three days or however much time it's been since that discovery, instead of spending all this time after that in tears and suffering, because, oh, no, I had the mark of the beast in my house. I'm not going to waste my time beating myself up on an honest mistake. So I had to, right then and there, embrace the mercy and the grace of God, knowing that God knows my heart, that God knew that I couldn't see it, that I hadn't seen it, and that it was thrown out immediately. So God's grace was sufficient in that. Amen. Then I think of other infirmities of my flesh and my my wife, all of her health problems and my health problems. I think of sometimes when I go to the stores, sometimes I have to park or do park in the handicapped parking spaces sometimes, which I never thought that I would need to do when I was younger. When you're young, you don't really uh, realize a lot of stuff about life. I did not realize a lot about life when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, when I was in my 30s, even when I was in my 40s, because every decade and every year we learn, all of us, we're all learning. And no matter how old you get, I've even had extremely old people to tell me that they were still learning. And the older you get, the more you learn. And it's absolutely true. But sometimes when I go to the store, I park in a handicapped place because I've been having a lot of problems with my knees and my back and with exhaustion. And I wish I didn't have to do that, just like I wish I never had to wear any eyeglasses to see a mark on a product. But it is what it is. A lot of people would uh, criticize me and condemn me to park, about parking in a handicapped parking space if I'm not in a wheelchair. And I think all of us have been guilty of that at some point of time, that we've looked at somebody parked at a parking spot marked for handicap, and we're like, ain't nothing wrong with that person. They're just lazy. I think we've all been guilty of saying that at some point of life when we were younger and naive. But as we grow older and older, we start to realize you cannot always 
look at a person and tell how much pain they're in or what their health problem is because there's all kinds of health problems. That person might have cancer. They might have knee problems. They might have back problems. There's no telling what that person is going through. We cannot always look at a person and tell what they're going through or how bad they're hurting or what's going to happen uh, soon. It's hard to put our feet in somebody else's shoes. But I've been suffering a whole lot from exhaustion. And I've been suffering a whole lot with my knees in the past few weeks, every day now. And there are times when I get in a store and can no longer uh, walk. I would just get in a store and I would have to stand there for five or ten minutes in one spot without without moving, without being able to walk anywhere. And I might be stuck anywhere in the location of that store. Considering my problems with my knees and my problems with my back and problems with extreme exhaustion, it really does help to get a parking space close to the door to where I can limit my amount of time the car and getting done what I need to accomplish and getting back before I do get stuck or to save me of feeling as much like I'm on the verge of a stroke or a heart attack from exhaustion save me a little bit of the energy and strength to get back to the house but other people would look at me and say there's nothing wrong with that guy he's strong he could work ain't nothing wrong with him People need to just keep their mouth shut because they don't know what I'm going through. Grace and the mercy of God sees all things, knows all things, knows all thoughts, knows all purposes and intents of the heart. This week we learn from our sufferings and from the sufferings of others. We learn that we need a Savior and that we need to depend on his mercy and his grace and stop condemning and judging people as much as what we have in the past. Yes, we can judge sin, but even then, many times we don't know what a person has gone through and we need to be careful about our judging. I've seen a lot of people in my life that are overcritical and overjudgmental and it is definitely a major problem in people in general and in the so-called Christian churches. I've seen many, many people that have read the Bible over and over, go to church every week, and yet they are more condemning and more judgmental than, uh, than lost people. And this is why a lot of lost people, they have told me, many, many, many lost people have told me the reason they won't go to church is because they know the stares, the looks, the facial expressions that people at church have when they see somebody come in the door with long hair or some kind of a symbol or a, a, a tattoo from decades ago, how everybody just looks at them with contempt. And I know that's true. With my long hair and my long beard, 
not only will I not go in Babylonian churches anymore because they're liars and lost and deceived, but also because the very moment that I walk up on their front porch, they are all staring at me like, oh, my God, I hope he gets saved tonight. They don't know me. I think of the mercy and grace that God has upon especially men with all their sexual power that dwells within the manhood, how we have the male hormones that are raging. God created men to be extremely sexual. That is the way God created man. Men are constantly sexually thinking on a daily basis, a million times a day. And that men have to masturbate. They absolutely have to masturbate. And if they don't, they would end up with testicular cancer or prostate cancer because they are not releasing the buildup. I think of the mercy and the grace and the understanding that God has upon the males realizing his own creation, how our bodies work, the lust that he gave men, that God is not over-legalistic about our bodies and sex like people are, so-called Christians, are so condemning, so judgmental, and so extremely legalistic that God looks upon sex and our naked bodies not with contempt, but understanding how he formed us, how he made us, and our needs and our difficulties in our situations, every situation God understands. Amen. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, starting in verse 3. Romans 5, verse 3, God willing, we'll go down to verse 21. Romans 5, verse 3. And not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. Each one of these brings about the next step of our growth as a person. But notice the first step was tribulations. You have to suffer. You have to make mistakes. Sin and darkness, unfortunately, is a necessity of life to try us, to test us. You have to have a fire. You have to have a hot frying pan to teach you don't touch the hot frying pan. You have to learn to not get a splinter, to touch wood in a certain way that you don't get a splinter from it, how to chop wood, how to handle wood, how to curry wood without getting a splinter. splinter. If it wasn't for the splinter, we wouldn't know how to curry wood the proper way. We need the splinters and the fire and the trials and tribulations that brings about the perseverance, that brings about character. Amen. And hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of Dios has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Ghost who was given to us. But while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Amen. The one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone will even dare to die. But Theos demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than having now been acquitted by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of Theos, from his anger and also from the 41 and a half day wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were enemies, we were, every one of us, enemies. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled. To Theos, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also rejoice in Theos through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world through Adam, and death through that sin, and so death spread to all men. We all will have to suffer the consequences of decay because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, the sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is come. So it's saying that before Moses, there was a lack of law, even though there was law, because before Moses, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Bible says that Abraham kept the law and kept the commandments and the law of God. We know that it was always a sin to murder, to commit adultery, to hate, Still, we know these things were always sin. There was always a sin to break the seventh day. We know that there was law. But when Paul talks about law here, he's talking about the law of circumcision, the old covenant law, that you have to stone people, that you have to sacrifice animals, these types of laws. Many people would apply the word law always to ever, 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 ever rule you can't always do that. Paul's use of the word law, I think, has been very corrupted by translation, and it's very difficult for me to fix it because of the confusion of established rules of language that have been passed down through translators from thousands of years, and it's very difficult to take a text and rules of language that have been passed down and to say their rule of language is wrong. To make that claim. Sometimes I do make that claim if I can prove it, if I can back it up. Or if God has really powerfully said to me, their rule of language is wrong. And God really presses me about it that I can fix it. Here, I believe, either in the context of all of Romans or a previous chapter or some upcoming verses or something about the context or a problem with 
translation that cannot be fixed, one or the other. We know that there was law before Moses and sin before Moses. Again, do not get caught up in the letter, the ABC. We know there was law. Let's look at the principle, the overall spirit of what Paul is trying to teach and not get caught up on the zipper. Don't get caught in the zipper. Let's get, <laughs> let's get with what the spirit of what Paul is really saying is that sin is in the world and we need a savior. Sin and death and sickness entered into all of mankind through Adam and Eve, and we have all followed the same pattern of sin. We cannot escape that pattern until we receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, the second Adam is Jesus, a new creation, a new man. Our old self before baptism, before repentance, was like the first Adam. So we become a new man like the second man. Now it says, verse 15, but the spiritual blessing or empowerment is not like the transgression. For if the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of Theos and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like uh, that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the spiritual empowerment arose from many offenses unto, unto righteousness. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, the crucifixion, there resulted righteousness of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even though through, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous, not few. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. Additional law came in. The old covenant law came in. So that transgression, sin would increase. What? Yeah. Yeah, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness, through eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The people were disobedient to the laws that were already established. As people were disobedient, God had to put his foot down. Here's more rules to keep you under control. They remained disobedient. Sin did increase with more law because the people had the same heart. Their heart did not change. Purpose of law to keep, is to keep people under control. That's the purpose of law, to keep uh, people under control, to avoid chaos, to avoid negative, bad fruit in the world, to avoid suffering that is unnecessary. But some suffering is necessary, especially if we are sinners. Now remember, 
in the earlier part of chapter 5, starting verse 3, that through our trials and tribulations, we build perseverance and character. We're removing the leavening from our lives, that we're learning mistakes, we're learning from our mistakes, we're learning from our lessons of life, we keep going, we endure, we get back up on the horse, we get back up on the motorcycle, and keep riding. Let's look at 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, that's near the book of Revelation, right before the books of 1, 2, 3, John. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. One Peter four verse twelve. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, trials, tribulations, sufferings among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as through as though that some strange thing were happening to you. Do not be surprised when trials and tribulations come and sufferings come. It's part of life, and it's a testing. All of us, every one of us, God is testing to see who is true and who will endure into the end. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, manifestation of his glory, manifestation. See if I have fixed that yet, please, Robert. On that particular verse, Revelation equals Revelation. Uh, write it down in the note to see if it needs to be changed or if I have fixed it in the PDF. I don't know if I fixed it in the PDF. I may have and not sent a notification about it. Manifestation of his glory, you may rejoice with exceeding joy. And if you are reviled for the name of Christ, and change reviled, verse 14, reviled, spoken against. If you're spoken against for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of theos rests on you. Don't be surprised when trials come. They're going to come. They are going to come. They are promised. Trials and sufferings are promised to us. Absolutely. Amen. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, right after Galatians. We keep reading this almost every week. Well, keep reading it. 
almost every week. We need to memorize these verses, Ephesians 4. These are such significant verses. We need to memorize some of these verses here. Ephesians 4, verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Theos to a mature man, to the measure of the maturity which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That is a high measure of maturity. And if we think about people who lived 2,000 years ago, oh, man, what a difference in the maturity of people 2,000 years ago and the maturity of people in the 2000s. Huge, 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 huge difference. We've got a lot of work to do in a very short period of time. It is very difficult to obtain perfection in this generation, but not impossible. Through the help of the Holy Ghost, we can and we will get there. Amen. We need to read scripture often enough. We need to praise God to help us get there. There is power in praise. I would not be where I am in Christ right now if it had not been for much, much, much passing of test and praise in difficult times. Without praising him in difficult times, we are more vulnerable to falling away. We have to praise God. There's power in praising God. He dwells in our praises. He dwells in our praises. If we hug him, he will hug us back. Amen. We have to stretch out our hands in worship. He is king. And when you enter the palace and the throne room of majesty, of a king of a vast kingdom, a powerful man of all power and authority that could command life and death, we drop to our knees. And if we do not drop to our knees, we bow. We move our hands back and forth. We lift up our both arms. We lift up both hands. And especially if we acknowledge that, that he is in heaven as well as all around us, then we are lifting up our hands up to heaven very often throughout the week and during the worship service. You can even do that even while I'm, while I'm preaching. It's okay to raise your hands or to say amen or to say praise God. These things are good and acceptable and needful, absolutely. Because through praising and worshiping him, 
in the song service and during the sermon. He comes. It invites him. And it empires his movement inside of us and around us. There have been times, even in Babylon, where just because people are praising him and worshiping him, that he comes down in a great magnitude to where he fills the room that I cannot put in words. And when it is done, there's not a person in the room, except for, except for some very stiff-necked people, that could doubt that his glory has filled the room. I have seen that many times. That's how powerful praise is. And when people seek God, he answers. Even when you're in Babylon, I sit in a Baptist church for two years and a Pentecostal church for a separate two years or longer. And other churches and other other years. And seen and felt firsthand, not in a book, not on a website, not somebody else's testimony, but firsthand I felt heard and saw the glory of God, even in Babylon, just simply because people were worshiping him, trying to live right, trying to repent, on a path, on a journey. And not everybody is on the same place in their journey. The book of Revelation, I think chapter 18 says, come out of her, my people. So the very phrasing, come out of her, my people, means that he has people who are in Babylon, that are his. And yes, they absolutely must eventually come out, the sooner the better, but they come out too early, actually, that's possible too. I had to sit in Babylon all those years with my mouth shut mostly, sitting on the back row and sometimes in the middle row, and sometimes up up closer, sometimes being allowed to preach, other times being told to sit down and shut up, even being threatened to be carried out. But I had to see all that, hear all that, experience all that, to know the working of God and the working of man, what the difference is, and, and the mercy of God and the grace of God. And how he responds to people who are attempting walking a journey, wherever they may be on that journey. Amen. We condemn the religion. We condemn the doctrines. And we condemn the leaders. But the people are pretty much victims. Absolutely. Of wolves in sheep clothing that are leading them. Yes, they bear some responsibility themselves. They should be studying. They should be seeking deeper. But they will. 
and many will be saved, and there will be so many people saved in the tribulation that came out of Babylon, as we did. There will be so many people saved in the tribulation that came out of Babylon who was in the Baptist church, the Pentecostal church, even the Catholic church, even the Orthodox church, our families, our friends, once they see the Bible being fulfilled in front of their eyes and the earth shaking, they will finally fall on their knees and every knee and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. But we cannot do this alone is another lesson that we need to learn from these seven days of unleavened bread. We need brothers. We need sisters. We need pastors. We need a congregation. We need support. We need fellowship. We are not a computer chip. We need real fellowship. We need hugs. Amen. He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the church. We need one another. I need you. You need me. I need Robert. Robert needs me. I need my wife. She needs me. We all need one another. I need Kiki. I need AJ. I need Nicholas. I need Russell. I need every one of you. We need one another. All ten toes, all ten fingers, both eyes, both sides of your nose, both ears, both kidneys. We need one another. We're all members of one another, one body. But we have to come into more unity. Amen. Of doctrine. I am impressed with this congregation. I am encouraged by what I see. The growth, the endurance, the perseverance. I am seeing improvement. Absolutely. I am seeing growth in maturity. Amen. This congregation has been tested to the extremes. Most people have fallen away on the wayside very quickly, very easily. But some have endured through some very tough meat, through much provoking and testing and trial and tribulation and suffering. There has been a true body preserved, a raiment that God preserves for himself. Amen. But we need to learn that I need Robert to point out the the fine print, the small print that I can see. And I need other brothers and sisters. We need one another. We cannot do this alone. Not only as far as uh, uh, against sin and the need for fellowship and companionship and love, but also for survival and, uh, during the Great Tribulation. And I, I have no doubt. I don't have any doubt. I don't even worry about it. That I pray for it, but I, I don't really have doubt. I don't really worry about it. I'm not anxious about it. I know that God will send 
more brothers and sisters for AJ, for Nicholas, for Kiki, for us here locally. I'm not over anxious about that. We pray for it. We believe that God is faithful. We've still got some time. God can work miracles overnight. Amen. There's always new people contacting me on a regular basis. All the time, somebody new contacting me. Most of them don't last more than 24 hours or a week or two or a month or two, but there's always somebody contacting me. And you never know when that very next person will be the next person to be a part of the local congregation in Australia or Korea or Africa or here. Amen. Don't give up. There's still time. Amen. Have faith. Don't be over-anxious. Realize that your struggle, if you are alone in your nation right now, if you're alone in your town, your community right now, there's a time, a season for everything, and there's reason for it. There's trial. There's endurance or perseverance. God is testing you. Will you endure in the time when you are alone? That's very important. Will you endure in the time when you're alone. But we do need people. We need one another. Even if it is just through email and text message and telephone and, and online worship services, we still need one another. We cannot do this alone. So many people try to do it alone, and it's dangerous. You need support. You need encouragement. Amen. And you need provoking. You need one another. Amen. We are humans and we need, by nature, we need companionship. We need the whole body. We need all of us. We all need fatherly figures and we need godly spouses. Most, almost every one of us need a godly spouse. Maybe not every one of us, but mostly every one of us need a godly spouse. And some people need divorce. Sometimes our needs will vary. But even when there's times for divorce or disfellowship, that has to be replaced. That has to be replaced. You have to have human companionship. Amen. And the church is here, and the church is available to people, and the church is outreaching. The last chapter of Revelation says, the bride says, come. And the bridegroom, the bridegroom, Jesus says, come. And the bride says, come. Both Jesus and his church is outreaching to people saying, come. We're here. We're waiting for people to show up. Amen. Praise the Lord. We need a Savior. We need the Holy Ghost. We need his help. We need his church. We need his administration. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need his strength. We need the Holy Ghost. We are people of need. Amen. Now, some people take the need for the Holy Ghost to the extreme of they think 
that without the Holy Ghost, you cannot repent initially. You cannot even get baptized. You cannot even resist the mark of the beast without the Holy Ghost. That is wrong. It is wrong, and I'll tell you why that's wrong. Acts 2, verse 37 and 38. Let's turn there. Acts 2, 37, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 37, and when they heard this, when they heard Peter's sermon, they were pierced to the heart. It was a convicting message. It was convicted of their sins. It was pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent. Then each one of you be baptized in the authority and name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice receiving the Holy Ghost was the last thing that he mentioned. First, you you get convicted of your sins. That is coming to the confession of your fault, you are guilty, and that you need a Savior. That's first step. Then you repent because you have come to the realization. You have woken up to your sins. You've confessed your sins. You know you're guilty. You know you need a Savior. You repent even before you receive the Holy Ghost. That means you make a decision to improve, to stop certain things, to begin other things, to stop going to the Sunday church, to stop keeping Christmas, to stop keeping Easter and Halloween, and to begin keeping God's true seventh day of the week, commanded rest and commanded worship, and his commanded annual holy days. Passover, Days of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Tabernacles, Pentecost, on on which this sermon was preached, on which these people got saved, on the holy day, because they were keeping the holy day. If they had not been keeping the holy day, these 3,000 people that got saved that day would not have gotten saved that day. Amen. This was 50 days or so after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and Peter and the apostles and the church were all still keeping the holy days. Amen. What must we do? Peter did not say, stop obeying God. He did not say, repeat the words of prayer after me. He did not say, all you got to do is believe that Jesus is God or believe that you're saved, or any of these things, but repent. Repent of your sins. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness. Be baptized for the forgiveness, not pray for forgiveness, although we got to do that too. Of course, you're going to pray before you get baptized. Come on. But you got to follow through with the covenant, putting on the engagement ring, which is what baptism is, putting on the engagement ring, entering into a covenant 
that you enter into the covenant that you are going to be at the marriage supper. Amen. It does not take the Holy Ghost to make the decision to live for God. It does not take the Holy Ghost to have your initial first repentance. It does not take the Holy Ghost to decide that you're going to keep his commandments, his holy days, his seventh day. That's all part of the first word, repent. I kept the principle of the seventh day, even though I was doing sunset to sunset because I didn't know no better, but I was doing the seventh day, keeping the seventh day the best to my knowledge for decades before I got saved, decades before I received his Holy Ghost, decades before I got baptized, decades before I had ever taken even my first communion. I kept the seventh day without the Holy Ghost. I abstained from Christmas and Easter and Halloween without the Holy Ghost for decades. You've got to have the Holy Ghost for endurance, for salvation, for eternal life, for first resurrection, for endurance through all the trials and the tribulations, and for continued repentance, for help, for strength to endure. For many reasons, we need the Holy Ghost. But that first step of confession is without the Holy Ghost. And repentance is without the Holy Ghost. You do not have to have the Holy Ghost to resist the mark of the beast. Any fool on this planet, any child on this planet, a five-year-old child without the Holy Ghost can say, no, I will not bow to Islam. And I will not buy or sell anything that has the mark of the beast on it. A five-year-old child can make that decision. I've seen it. I've known little tiny children to make that simple, easy decision. It is so simple. It is so easy. I don't understand people who act like that saying no to Islam and to say no to the mark of the beast is so difficult. Come on now. It's a simple, easy decision. Do you serve God or do you serve Satan? It's that easy. It's that simple. It's that basic. Amen. That's step number one. Amen. That you make a decision. Do I want to continue to live in darkness and sin, following the devil and his ways and the world, which includes the mark of the beast and everybody has it? Or do I want to be branded by the ownership of Jesus Christ? Amen. It's an easy decision. you want to die or live? Do you want to be on the winning side or the losing side? Do you want to be empowered or do you want to stay a weakling? Do you want to stay asleep or do you want to wake up? Do you want to be branded with 666 of the ownership of the devil and his products? Or do you want to be branded with the name of Christ and the Holy Ghost? There's only two decisions. And it doesn't take the Holy Ghost to make that decision because you first got to make that decision before you can even get the Holy Ghost. Amen. People put too much on mercy and grace 
I believe in mercy and grace. I've talked a lot about mercy and grace today. And I am God's prime example of mercy and grace. But God is not going to have mercy on you or grace upon you if you do not make a decision and repent. That's up to you. And only after you do that and make that elementary decision and follow through with it, enter into that covenant, say, I do. Receive that baptism of spirit and water. Be born again. Become a new person. Receive his Holy Ghost. Receive the forgiveness of sin. Then you walk in mercy. Then you walk in grace. Then you walk in empowerment and with the Holy Ghost to endure and strengthen you and empower you against the trials and tribulations so that you can stay in and endure against all the hurricane force of tribulation and persecution. Then you have the strength to disfellowship from people and to divorce whatever you need to do. The first you have to get saved, repent and get saved, and that don't take the Holy Ghost to receive the Holy Ghost. It doesn't, it doesn't take the Holy Ghost to receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's look at Revelation 19. We'll be closing here in a few couple of minutes. Revelation 19. Verse 7. Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Daddy doesn't do everything. We got to make ourselves ready. We got to put on our own pants. We got to, the women have to put on their own dress. Daddy doesn't dress us. We have to do some stuff ourselves. It's not all mercy. It's not all grace. It's not all faith. We have to wash ourselves and receive his washing as a companionship washing. Amen. We wash one another's feet. Each one of us need one another. The bride has made herself ready. Now look one more place. Revelation 22, verse 13. Revelation 22, verse 13. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. These Greek letters, the first, the last, the beginning, the end, that's what that means. And then he says it, what it means, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. We will have a right have a right to be there. They have to wash our clothes, change our clothes, baptize our clothes, so that we may have the right to the tree of life. And they enter by the gates into the city. There is a border to heaven. <laughs> There's a border of wall. There's a border wall. Trump would be so proud. There is a border wall for heaven. Verse 15. And without that city, meaning these people won't be allowed in the city, 
This means so, so many people have thought this means right on the outside of the wall will be these wicked people. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean on the outskirts or the suburbs of the city will be the wicked. No, what this means is these people won't be there. They would be dead is why they won't be there. The dogs, that means anybody opposite of God. God spelled backwards. Anybody that is opposite of God, the ungodly, the unrighteous, this is all lost people. Dogs is also anybody that has not gotten saved, the Jews called Gentiles dogs. So these are Gentiles. These are people who have not become a spiritual Israelite. These are people who have, who have not been adopted into the Jewish family yet. These are the synagogue of Satan. These are false Christians who never get saved, or Muslims that never get saved, so forth. Anybody that's not saved. And the sorcerers, which are people that, uh, witches, these are people that make love potions and curse potions, uh, people who smoke pot for revelation from the Lord, people who do uh, LSD for uh, spiritual revelation. That's what that is. Fornicators. That is not only sex, but any kind of sin is fornication. Any kind of sin is fornication. And murderers and idolaters, which are Christmas people, Easter people, Halloween people, these are idolaters. Trinity people, those are idolaters. And everyone who loves and practices lying has a lifestyle of lying. These are pre-trib rapture people. So right here, this verse cuts out most all of Babylon, just about. So all these people, they will not be able to enter. So they can cry mercy, 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 grace, 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 all they want to. They ain't getting in. They ain't getting in. There's a border wall uh, for not just heaven, but also for paradise, which is the new heavens and new earth. Amen. Well, thank you for staying up late or getting up early, whichever may be your case. And thank you for listening. Thank you for for your forbearance with me. I hope that everybody will be able to uh, join us tomorrow for the live worship services for the seventh day of the week tomorrow on Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Everybody's invited to listen to that live worship services at the same location that you're listening right now. Please check out the ministry website if you never have before. I saw the light ministries.com. And if you've been following the ministry and would like fellowship, there is Social groups, MeWe social group is an alternative to Facebook and Twitter. I'm really, really enjoying the MeWe social group. I really am. And I love seeing the people get involved and interacting and clicking on each other's posts and putting hearts and muscles and different symbols on each other's posts and sharing each other's posts. I'm really enjoying that. I'm really encouraged. 
and excited about it. The movement, finally, praise God, finally, finally, some movement and interaction in the kingdom of God. We're going to seize this world. We're going to subdue this world and usher in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.